relationships. Like relationships are accidental, but if you think about it, we hire nutritionists, physical therapists, we attend, people attend the small groups and support groups, Alcoholics Anonymous is a support group. We enter into financial groups, uh, real estate investing groups. There's all these intentional relationships that are part of our life. And what I mean by intentional relationship, I mean distinguish it. You've got your friends. But the people I'm talking about are the ones that you pursue and give access to to help you achieve a goal. I need to rehab my messed up knee, so I meet with my physical therapist three times a week or whatever. I don't want to figure out how to build a real estate business, so I meet with a group of people who are involved in that. And so you meet with people who aren't necessarily your friends for an intentional purpose, to gain an intentional purpose, right? So when, it, when you think about it, you let total strangers tell you how to exercise, complete internet friends tell you how to manage your money. These people you've ne never met before in your life, you allow to the deepest part of your world to help you accomplish the biggest dream you've set out to achieve. But if you're in an, if you are in an intentional relationship at church, if you go to Sunday school, you might talk about what the Bible says, but they don't know you from Adam. Now think about that for a minute. I'm really not sure how to buy an investment property. Hey, I'll give you $3,000 to teach me how, you know, like analyze my finances. Let me tell you my whole thing. Go to church. How you doing? Fine. <laughs> why are we not more intentional or why are we do, not, do we not enter into intentional relationships to accomplish spiritual goals? We do it for everything else. If you're in college, that's what tutors are. That's what study groups are. Technically, that's what sororities and fraternities are, at least at the outset until they actually become your friends, right? We, we have these groups that we join and we're like, hey, here's who I am and I, I don't even know you, but I'm gonna tell you my whole thing. And counseling is an intentional relationship for a purpose. But come to church. How you doing? See you next Sunday. When the most critical intentional relationship in our life might be our relationship with God, and there are people who are further along their spiritual walk than we are, that if we enter into an intentional relationship with us, can help us accomplish spiritual growth. If you haven't been with us for a couple of weeks, I'm giving you a three-part, three keys to lasting spiritual change, soul improvement. Yes, it's a playoff home improvement kind of idea. But if you identify, the first step was evaluation. And I talked about a spiritual practice of examine where you sit down with God and go, okay, God, check me out. Look under the hood. <laughs> now I'm mixing my metaphors all over the place, right? What, what needs to be fine-tuned? I buy the real estate property. I got to use the solar proof metaphor. I've got to renovate it. Where do I start? You know, having a roof on it would be good. <laughs> that doesn't leak. How do I, where is the, what is my critical issue? What is my starting spot? Or in your intentional relationship with God, hey God, search me and know me. Help me see the one spot that I'm hanging on to too tight that's probably an idol. The one sin that's plaguing, been plaguing me for years that I've been trying to get rid of. Search me and lead me out of that. That's examination. Because if you don't know where you are, you can't get to your destination, right? If Siri doesn't know where you're leaving from, maps is useless. 
You know, if it thinks you're in California and you get directions to New York and you're here, you're going to be really confused about the turns. It's going to keep telling you to U-turn on I-40. You're not going to know why, right? And you have to know where you are to get to know where you need to go. And so that's that first step. And then once you know what that one thing is that you need to fix, that one area that if it's... Now, we all have lots of areas, so don't misunderstand, right? If you walk into a... Keep the, keep the real estate thing happening here. You walk into a rundown house, like it needs windows, it needs floors, it needs new appliances. There's, there's so much messed up about this house. It all needs fixing. And you can't fix it. Uh-oh. You can't fix it all in one shot. You can't walk in and go, okay, today we're going to repaint the walls and put in new windows. I got a crackle monster in my pocket. Sorry, it's distracting me. Okay. So you can't like do the whole renovation in one shot. You've got to do it in phases. Because honestly, put the floors down after you paint. <laughs> right? Paint, then put floors down because you don't want paint on the brand new floors. So once I know this is where I'm headed, then I need to start taking steps that direction. The evaluations told me, and usually, this is what I talked about last week, usually what needs to be renovated is the order of our desires. Because the reason it needs to go is because we love it more than our relationship with God. It's what the Bible calls an idol. It might be career, might be money, might be finding a significant other, might be whatever it is that we care about so much that God takes second or third seat to. Then the second part of this is we've got to put God first in all of those things. Seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added to you. Picking up on the speaker or something. Um, so you put this in the right order. If I seek God first, he takes care of everything else. Rightly ordered desires is step two. Okay, so you've evaluated. You've got your target and your focus right. You're putting God first. That's the attempt. And if you've ever had those spiritual talk, if you've ever had these spiritual moments where you're like, okay, starting tomorrow, I'm going to change this. And then three days later, you're back to where you were. Anybody? Just me. It's called New Year's resolutions. You know what I mean? Or New Year's non-resolutions. But anytime we've sat down and said, okay, tomorrow I'm going to start running a marathon. I'm going to start preparing for a marathon. I'm going to run five miles a day. And you're like, nope, not after two days of this. Forget it. And we have a hard time sticking to it, right? So even if we've evaluated and if we know what we want to change, the next step is to actually make the changes. But if you're really going to make lasting change, there's a third part to this that will help you maintain and continue to grow that change. And that is moving forward with spiritual friends. It's what I was talking about with, say, with intentional relationships, right? If I've got a stubborn sin, if I've got a thing about, maybe it's a good thing. Let's do positive spin for a minute. I want to read the Bible more and read more. If I enter into an accountability relationship with somebody that says, hey, I'm reading my Bible every day. Will you read with me? I am way more likely to finish that reading plan than if I just sit down one night and go, okay, I'll start reading the Bible for an hour every night. And after about two days, you really rather watch the Netflix special than you fall asleep. You know what I mean? So like you don't maintain it. If you've got some accountability and your accountability partner next day goes, did you read? No. <laughs> you know what I mean? If you're in it together, you're way more likely to follow through. Those are intentional relationships. Consider the way Jesus structured his ministry, 
right? If you're familiar with the Gospels at all, Jesus had how many disciples? I heard 12. That's correct. But inside that 12, he had three that showed up a lot. Peter, James, and John, right? Peter, James, and John got to go to the Mount of Truth Transfiguration. They got special. They went in and saw him raise a little girl from the dead. They were the inner circle of the circle. So he had Peter, James, and John. Then he had the other nine. And then if you read the text, there was another 72 or so. We always forget about them. They were with him all the time. They sent out in one passage. He sent all 72 of them out to do ministry. So at three, we had 12. You had this larger group of 72. And then, a much, and then the crowd that whoever would like, you know, Sadducees, Pharisees, whatever, going, yeah, he's wrong. You know, whatever, throwing, throwing tomatoes. But he had this larger group that followed him around too. People that would come to him for healing and all that. But he had three, 12, 72. So he had very deep friendship with Peter, James, and John. It's implied in the scripture. Then he had his 12 that were learning everything they could from Jesus. He had intentional relationships with those guys, right? And they went everywhere and they saw everything he did and they learned from him and they ended up carrying his ministry forward. But even then, when he sent them out, when he sent the disciples out by 12 and when he sent the 72 out, in both cases, guess how he sent them out? By twos. When he sent them into town ahead of time, he didn't send them off by themselves. He said, take your buddy with you. You know what I mean? So you go to the theme park. You, who's your buddy? You won't get lost. You know, he sends them out by twos. What can I draw from this? The Christian faith was never meant to be lived alone. You have your own personal eternal destination. I get that. But living the Christian faith was never meant to be done in isolation. It was always intended to be alongside with a close spiritual friend or two or, or 12 or 72, depending on how many Facebook friends you have. Just kidding. It was always meant to be lived in relationship with each other. This is Ephesians 2, 19 through 22. This is what Paul says about it. As soon as I can find 19. Here we go. So then, you are no longer strangers or aliens, but you are citizens with the saints and also members of the household of God, built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Christ, Jesus himself as the cornerstone. In him the whole structure is joined together and grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you are built together spiritually into a dwelling place for God. He's describing the church. He's describing his followers and he says the Christian faith is founded on Jesus, but we are built together into the temple or the house of God. Not, hey, you're a good follower of me, you're a good follower of me. We are built together into something. And the foundation, soul improvement metaphor, the foundation is Jesus. But it's never meant to be lived. It's not, it's not 60 different churches. It's a church, a group of people in intentional spiritual relationship with each other. And later in Ephesians, he actually talks about that some Christians are given certain gifts and some Christians another gift. And this Christian is given these gifts based on the Holy Spirit's plan or action. And then he says the purpose of those gifts is for building up of the body of believers. 
So the ability to teach, the ability to discern, the ability to do all these things that we were gifted to do, wired to do by God, is for the benefit and the growth of the church, for the growth of the body. Which means that if you cut yourself off and try to live your faith in isolation, you're depriving yourself of all the gifts God gave somebody else, not you. You're also depriving the church, the building up of body, of the gifts God gave you. So if you've got gifts, if you've got talents, if you've got spiritual ability from the Holy Spirit, it was given to you for the sake of the church. If you're not at church, you can't express that gift. You might just be a really good listener. Somebody in the building needs a good listener. And you're depriving them of that by not being there, by cutting yourself off and trying to do it all on your own. I know we talked about this before, but God, also, God speaks in Scripture, but He also speaks in these spiritual conversations, in these intentional relationships. And so literally trying to live your faith by yourself, even with the Bible, which is a good thing, means you're missing out on whatever God has to say to you through other people in the church. Does that make sense? It's not, oh man, i got to get up every Sunday. It is, I get to go express the gifts God gave me, and I get to receive the benefits of the gifts God gave everybody else. And I'm being built into something. We are being built into something together. It's not just an hour of sleep at stake. It's something much bigger than that. It's something much greater. It's a temple. Jesus calls it being built into a holy temple. And later the scriptures even call us a holy priesthood. So you're a priest that didn't even know it. What do priests do, by the way? They intercede. They listen. They help. They encourage. They pastor each other. I'm not the only pastor standing in the building. If you're a follower of Jesus, I hate to tell you, you're a pastor. <laughs> You're ordained. No, I'm just kidding. No, but you have a place and a role and gifts that God's given you to serve the body of Christ for the sake of the body of Christ. Now, it's really easy when I talk about making spiritual change. It's, I can make it sound too simplistic, right? Hey, I'm struggling with this. God showed me that. I've decided not to. Now I'm going to move forward. I'm not going to do it again. Let's talk, let's talk reality here for a second. There are some changes that God might have said, okay, we're going to deal with this now, that are just too big and overwhelming to make. It'd be really easy to say, say if anxiety is your thing that God's ready to deal with, for me to quote a scripture that says, don't be anxious, have a next, see you next week. <laughs> you're right. If it was that easy, you'd be like, sweet, I'm not going to be anxious tomorrow. Does that work? No. Now, if there's something you're worried about and it goes by, maybe it goes away. I don't know. But some people literally cannot deal with the anxiety without help. Sometimes professional help. And that is a valid thing. That's another intentional relationship. A counselor is an intentional relationship that you enter into to deal with the anxiety. Now, we're not, I ordained you all. You're all pastors. I didn't make you all therapists, okay? So there is a level of professional training involved in that, right? But my point is, though, sometimes if you're going to sit down to do some deep spiritual renovation, it may be too big. It's very likely that it's too big for you to do on your own. Church itself 
is an intentional spiritual relationship. You got up this morning, you said, yeah, I'm feeling like connection and some donuts at 11. You know what I mean? But you still chose this building to come here on Sunday morning among the others. You intentionally came here and you're sitting in a room with people that, are in the, that made the same decision, that are on the same path, dealing with the same kinds of things that you're dealing with. We're all in this together. And you don't know everybody in here. So you've entered into a relationship that's not necessarily your friends yet, but it's an intentional step towards your spiritual growth. You're worshiping with the band up here, praying with God, talking to God, listening to the Bible being taught. That's an intentional step in your spiritual maturity. Right? So it's an intentional relationship. Sunday morning is an intentional relationship. So sometimes in these spiritual relationships, when they're, over, they're overkill, there's, it's over our head, I can't manage it, I'm going to go see a therapist or I'm going to see somebody that can help me or I'm going to enter into an intentional relationship with a group of people who are going to hold me accountable, small group, Sunday school, Bible study, you name it, and I'm going to be friends with them enough to entrust them with my spiritual walk and hopefully they're going to entrust me with theirs. Are you with me? Now some of you may be, somebody, I've heard this before, like uh, counseling is not Christian, they just need the Bible. Okay, how do you do heart surgery? That's not in the Bible. All right? But the Bible, counseling is a tool. Small groups are a tool. They're, they're a, a way to equip you to continue to move forward. Because nobody cuts the grass in their yard by walking out and pulling the top off each blade. Think about that for a minute. It's August. You're on your hands and knees like, that grass is shorter now. That blade is shorter. What do you use? You use a lawnmower. It's a tool <laughs> to make your job still sweaty and hot in August, but a lot easier than handpicking the top off each blade of grass. Am I right? You have an intentional relationship with the lawnmower. <laughs> I'm intentionally going to cut this grass with you, buddy. I ain't going to try to do it on my own. Are we tracking? Small group, Sunday school, Bible study is your lawnmower to your spiritual health. Man, my metaphors are all over the place. But you're with me, right? Any, the, everything, in, the conversations, the small groups, the things you enter into, they're a tool to help you do the renovation. You've got to ask, what's the renovation, Jesus? You've got to be willing and rightly order the desire to move forward. And then don't try to do it yourself. My goodness, I'm your pastor. I will help you. And if, I, if it's over my head, we'll get more help, okay? But don't try to do it all by yourself. God didn't design it that way. He made us a body of Christ. The way Apostle Paul says it, what would, what would the body be if the whole body was an eye? That doesn't make any sense, right? There's other parts that can carry us through this stuff. Now, passage to tie this all together. This is Hebrews 19. Just so you don't know, I'm just making this stuff up, right? Hebrews 10, chapter, chapter 10, verse 19, excuse me. Therefore, my friends, since we have confidence to enter the sanctuary by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way he has opened up for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us approach with a true heart in full assurance of the faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from, the e from, evil, from, e from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. 
Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who has promised is faithful. And let us consider how to provoke one another to love and good deeds, not neglecting to meet together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Now, the writer of Hebrews, he starts out in that passage talking about the fact that our conscience is clear, that we are wiped clean by the flesh and blood of Jesus and the sprinkling of water. That's sacramental language, right? The body and blood of Christ has paid the penalty for our sins. We can enter into God's presence free and clear. That's what he's saying. Sin's gone. Sin's taken care of. The penalty of sin and the power of sin have been broken in your life. You can go into the temple, enter the courts with praise, so to speak, right? To quote the Psalms. Then he says, so, since we have that access, since we are that way, let us consider how we might spur one another on to good works. What's he talking about? The church intentionally helping each other in their spiritual walk. Let us consider, let us think through how we can help each other on the journey to love more, to be more patient, to be more kind, to do good things, to be sacrificial, to be caring. Let us consider how we can do that. Then he says, let us not give up meeting together because the Christian faith was never meant to be done alone. He says, as some were in the habit of doing. In other words, even coming to church is one of those commitments where it's like, man, I could just watch football today. You know, it's an intentional step in the maturity of your spiritual life. And eventually, if people don't know you're there, this is, by the way, sidebar, pastor paranoia. You don't come for a couple of weeks and I don't notice. I'm human. It's possible. I don't like it. <laughs> right? I see you for the first time in two months. I'm like, you're here. You know what I mean? Like, because I'm excited. You're a part of this group. Don't think I'm not excited. If I don't call you, if you miss two weeks, you might be on vacation for all I know, especially in Starkville during the summer. I have no idea. But people were making a commitment to the faith. And in the day of the writing of Hebrews, it might have cost them their life to be a part of church because it was illegal. Right? Hey, I'm going to church with you, but the Romans are knocking down my door and they don't like Christians. Uh, I'm going to skip Sunday because I don't want to die. Okay? <laughs> we're like, yeah, it's hot outside. <laughs> you know, like the stakes were different. And he says, don't. Some people have given up coming to meet. But don't give up on this intentional relationship. You come to a church, you're like, and they were kind of rude to me, I'm not going back. Then fix it by being the kind and generous person in the lobby. But don't give up on meeting together. Remember I said, you may have gifts that the church doesn't have because they're not welcoming and warm. Well, I'm going to be the welcoming and warm person. Cool. Now we are. <laughs> that's how it works. The coffee was terrible. I'm going to make the coffee. Cool. That's how it works. You know what I mean? Like that's... You're bringing those gifts to the body of Christ and encouraging us in our beliefs. That's how this is designed to work. I'm a better preacher than Charlie. I'm going to be a pastor. Cool. Come on. You know what I mean? Like, we all have gifts that are built for the body of Christ. And then the third one, he's got three let us's in this passage, right? It's not a salad. Three let us. Uh, sorry, that's a bad dad joke. Let us encourage one another. 
In other words, it's not critique time. Let us encourage one another. I thought it was more to that sentence, and I just said it wrong. He says, let us encourage one another. Opening yourself to an intentional spiritual relationship can be a little scary because you're like, hey, I'm really struggling with this. Don't hate me. Right? Is it safe to tell them this? You've got to be wise. Don't walk down in the front of connection and go, here's my three sins from the week. That'd be awkward. <laughs> right? There's a, there's a way to do this with discernment and kindness and gentleness where you go, hey, I really do trust you. Here's what I'm struggling with. Will you help me walk in it? Right? That comes from intentional friendship. That comes from that. But if you don't have those relationships yet, my encouragement is for you to build them up. Now, it's not self-critique time. It doesn't mean that when you come to a Sunday school, you get to bear your soul and everybody picks you apart. That's not what we're talking about. The writer of Hebrews goes, let us encourage one another. How are you doing? People are still asking me about my eye that detached last summer, right? So like, yeah, I still can't see, kind of, you know, like in this eye. So if I ignore you at church, it's probably because you're on my semi-blind side. Okay, just so you know. Um, people are always asking about that. That's encouraging to hear. But if I make a commitment and I say, hey, I tell so-and-so, I'm going to start reading my Bible more every day. Here's my commitment. Here's the specifics of it. Will you keep me accountable to that? It's not a critique when they ask you about it. It's called encouragement. There's a word we don't like. It's called accountability. <laughs> I don't want to be held accountable. Well, your boss holds you accountable. Your teachers hold you accountable. A thing called grades. Like accountability is part of life. Why would we not turn that power loose on what we want to change about ourselves spiritually? It's the same thing I said at the beginning of service. We'll hire a CPA to manage our finances. We'll hire a tra personal trainer to get rid of the dad gut. We will bring, we'll, we'll bring in complete strangers and let them tell us how to live and how to eat and how to spend our money. But don't let a spiritual friend tell, remind you about reading the Bible. That's awful. It's backwards <laughs> is what it is. The best, healthiest spiritual friendships are sitting right next to you right now, potentially. And you can trust them to help you with that. Last little tag. This is Ephesians 4. Paul had a lot to say about this stuff. And I like Paul. You should read everything he wrote. Um, Ephesians chapter 4. This is 11 through 16. Maybe the verses I alluded to earlier. Maybe it's different ones. Actually, this is a tough section. Listen to this. Yeah, this is the part I was talking about. The gifts he gave were that some would be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, until all of us come to unity in the faith and of a knowledge of the Son of God to maturity, the measure of the full stature of Christ. We must no longer be children tossed to and fro, blown about by every wind of doctrine, by people's trickery and their craftiness and deceitful schemes. Key verse. But speaking the truth in love, we must grow up in every way into the head who is Christ Jesus, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by every ligament with which it is equipped as each part is working properly promotes the body's growth. You see the metaphor in here, right? In building itself up in love. Let me focus on those last couple of verses. Speaking the truth in love. There's a way to hold somebody accountable without blasting them. 
<laughs> right? It, just encouraging them to do the commitment they made themselves cannot, is not critique. It's, hey, how are you sticking with it? How can I help you stick with it? You owe me 20 bucks at church next week if you hadn't read your Bible all week. Yeah, okay, I'm reading that Bible. You know what I mean? Like, how can I help you on your spiritual path? If you don't do your commitment, you got to come stand in front of the entire church and speak. Anybody? No. You see what I mean? How can I encourage you? By speaking the truth in love, an intentional spiritual relationship is made up usually of a mutual invitation to speak that truth in love, encouragement, and presence. There it is. Do you understand that? It's a mutual invitation. Hey, I'm, I'm working on this. What are you working on? Let's work on it together. I'm able to speak truth into your life if I see you going off the rails. Hey, let's fix, let's, can I help you with this? How are you doing? You're doing great? Good. I'm going to encourage you in that. But ultimately, by being with each other, our presence matters. Allow God to search your heart, straighten out the desires of your heart, and then walk in sacred friendship with one another until the renovation is complete. And by the way, that's the rest of your life. <laughs> now, there may be a certain thing that goes away, okay? But then you just ask God and repeat. Ask God and repeat until you find holiness and righteousness in Jesus and one day perfection. Let's pray. Gracious God, you are the Holy One and we rest in the truth that these commitments we make, we make in reciprocation for the fact that you first loved and pursued us. We know that it's your desire to love and transform us. And so we pray the Psalm 139. Seek, search our hearts. Know what is not fit within us and lead us in the way of understanding. Rightly order the desires of our heart so that we can worship you with our whole being. And build us up together as a body of Christ that's loving and encouraging one another on to love and good works. In Christ's name, amen.